one of the most joyful things in life is to discover when you meet somebody that you have a lot in common with that person. Imagine meeting somebody and they, they know the same acquaintances that you do. I mean, haven't you ever gone, maybe you've traveled and all of a sudden you meet somebody and you realize, wow, we actually know the same people. It's pretty amazing. Of seven billion people in our planet and yet it still feels like a very small world. Maybe you share the same values as that with that person. Or maybe you can relate to another, one another with just having a common experience. You've done something and you immediately, that relationship starts to build. You start to feel like this person is really heaven sent in a, in a time when you're like feeling maybe alone and isolated. Well, recently my son Josiah left to go to university in the United States. And going to a new school in a new country is a huge adjustment, especially when we've all been isolated and maybe we're a little rusty at, at, um, at talking to people outside of our family. And what has made it so much easier for Josiah is that his roommate is actually from Brampton, Ontario. And uh, this young man is also on a baseball scholarship and and his name is Gavriel, Gavriel, not Gabriel, Gavriel. And Gavriel is one of those like really smart, gregarious people. And as soon as Gavriel committed to Cornerstone University there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, he found out about Josiah and he reached out to Josiah and they started talking and texting and they started hanging out. They would drive the hour and they'd work out together and do all these types of things where they were uh, building their relationship. And wow, did, that was such a godsend. And it really helped them as they navigated the move to the United States. They agreed with one another on the direction of their lives and their relationship has really been life-giving to one another. Well, I want to tell you today that I believe agreeing with one another may be the greatest need in your life right now. Agreeing with one another may be the most important need in your life right now. Why would I say that? Because anger, not Agreement is what's really marking and dominating our culture. The headlines of the September 4th, 2021 Saturday Star asked this question. Why is everyone so angry? Big capital letters. So angry. The subtitle stated this, and I, I quote, Separated from each other, retreating further into bubbles, worn down by the difficulty and drudgery of pandemic life, we may be losing sight of our shared humanity and allowing rage to poison our relationships and our democracy. And here's the sad truth. The church has not escaped this deadly poison, the anger and the division. There have been fights and distancing over mask wearing and vaccines and politics. And the ultimate social distancing is not two meters, but the grand canyon-sized chasm that has been created by the words spoken by former friends and, and even worse, family members. It's made many feel relationally homeless while stuck at home. 
And social media has aided and abetted this fracturing as we, we quickly like and repost or state things that we might not have done if we would have just been in that person's presence, right? And had a, a face-to-face conversation with that person. Just liking or sharing a post can now cost you your job. Just as an aside, we're actually trying to, um, to tackle the whole issue. How do, we, how do we live as Christians in this digital world? And on, on September 26th, we're bringing in a speaker, Joanna LaFleur, who's really tried to help, um, help people do this. And so she's going to give a talk, and we're going to have some Q&A, and I think it's going to be a great time. So mark that on your calendars, because this is something we need to grow in, right? But let's remember that new divisions are not new to this world. They actually began with the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, who blamed, if you think about it, Adam blamed the problem of humanity's first sin on who? On Eve and then on God. It's the woman you gave me. Man, that didn't go well from him, right? Then the next generation... Boy, did it get really bad quickly. They took it a lot further, and Cain killed his brother, Abel. Pride and isolation can escalate quickly to anger and violence. Even after Jesus came, there were still divisions in his newly formed church. As the late pastor Warren Wiersbe stated, division has always been a problem with God's people. And this is why today's message might be the most important message you and I need to hear. It's simply this. Agree with one another. Agree with one another. So now I've said it, we can go home, right? Got it all? We got it all nailed down? Just because a pastor says it? Oh, wow. Nailed this one. I think we need to go a little bit deeper. So would you please turn in your Bibles to one verse today we're going to focus in on. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And we're going to discover why we should agree with one another. We are going to discover how we should agree with one another. And thirdly, upon what we should agree with one another. So, so please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It's a really short verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is the word of God for you today. Can we all say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, agreeing with another goes beyond just hitting that like button on social media. Media. That's too easy at times. Agree with one another, one another is actually taking a step towards that person, that other person. And, and that's one of the challenges I'm going to give you today. Maybe you need to take a step towards another person this week and the potential messiness of that relationship with them. Agree with another means being united with that person even if you initially disagreed with them. You can agree, but Christ requires us not to be disagreeable, as we've heard in the past. I've learned over the last couple of years that we need to actually run towards the mess, not run away from the mess. And that's totally counterintuitive, right? I mean, does any of us like 
tough to get involved with all the problems. But you and I know, if we've lived any time on this earth, that the problems usually don't go away just because of time. We can't just ignore them. But there's a greater reason why we need to run towards the mess. And it's simply this. Christ ran towards the mess. Christ ran towards my mess, my problems. Did Christ run towards your mess and problems? That is the reason why, as Christians, we should be motivated to agree with one another, to pursue these relationships. Think about Jesus. He didn't stay in heaven when everything was, was and is perfect, but Jesus came to, down to earth and he literally dealt with our problems through blood, sweat, and tears. This is what our Jesus did for us. Jesus is the perfect son of God, got dirty. If you hear nothing else in this message, please understand the reason why you should agree with one another is because Christ wants you to. And Christ exemplified this in his own life while on earth. Jesus is the motivation for our unity. Do you agree with me? Jesus is the motivation for our unity. And I believe this is why Paul invokes Christ's name. Did you see what he says? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New American Standard strengthens the appeal to the exhortation level. I exhort you. The King James, the New King James, go a different direction. They use the words, I beseech or I plead with you. However, as Bible scholar Gordon Fee explains, appeal was not to, to literally get down on your knees and beg and, or even summon them. There was, it was a stronger, stronger word than that. The idea of Paul was appealing with his full apostolic authority. We often think the apostles were just amazing because they do, could do these miracles or that they could plant churches or they could preach the gospel and, and thousands would come to faith in Christ. They could do all these things. But one of the most important things that an apostle could do was use their apostolic authority to appeal for unity. Now, I don't have apostolic authority and I found that begging doesn't really work that well, right? Only for a short time. Works well with my dog. It's very powerful for my dog, but it doesn't work always on us human beings. We feel manipulated. And this is why I want us to, right this very moment, think about Jesus and think about what he did for us. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, let's just slow down for a moment. We often think about this. When we think about this cross, we think about how through Jesus Christ, he made peace with God. And that's essentially what this vertical beam communicates, right? We now have this bridge. We have this peace. But there's also the horizontal beam where Christ's stretched out arms were there in order to reconcile not just to us, to God, but to each other. That's why the cross is such a great picture, isn't it, for us? 
Christ should be our primary motivation for laying aside our differences. And so why agree with one another? We should agree with one another for the name of Jesus Christ, for his reputation, for his sake, for his name. I know of some non-Christians who are leveling this charge. They'll say things like, I don't understand why it seems all you Christians are the ones fighting and protesting when Christians are the people who are supposed to put others first and get along. Ouch! Right? Yikes! I mean, I just feel indicted by that. It is such a reminder that no matter what our views on politics or vaccines or personal freedoms, and I advocate for personal freedoms. They're very important. It's even more important, though, to remember that as Christians, which literally means little Christ, little Christ, our reputation is linked to the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. We belong to him. So why agree with one another? Why? Because of Christ. For the name of Jesus Christ. But you may ask, well, can't, can't I just have a personal relationship with Jesus and, and not have to, to get into the mess of the church and other Christians? No. If you and I belong to Jesus, we also belong to his family, warts and all. And this is why Paul wanted to deal with divisions first. If the motivation for agreeing with, another, with one another is Jesus Christ, then the action to agree with one another is to first deal with divisions. So how should you agree with one another? Agree with one another by dealing with divisions first. See, divisions were a repeated theme in the first letter to the Corinthians. And if you've read this book, you know what I'm talking about. Let me just quickly walk you through some of the ways that they, they were, there was the church at Corinth were experiencing divisions. There were divisions over who was the best preacher and teacher. That was evident in chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Uh, Paul begins with the description of, 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 people, of, of the problem of division. Look at verse, verse 11 of chapter 1. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers. Notice how quarrels don't usually stay contained but have a ripple effect, don't they? Quarrels invite conversations, gossip, slander. And what were the, the Corinthians fighting over? Well, one of them was the fact that, that um, look what it says in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, and I follow Paulus, and I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. They were fighting over who was their favorite preacher, their favorite YouTube, if we could put it in our days, their favorite YouTube um, teacher and preacher. And that pride and that devotion to these itinerant Christian preachers were, was really undermining the work of the Holy Spirit. And while they were fighting over their favorite preacher, they were totally distracted. There was other things going on in that church. The, the, the Christians were, were failing to deal with sexual morality. That's what we see in, verse, in chapter 5, where there was this incestuous relationship. Meanwhile, they say, I love Apollos, I love Paul, but they're not dealing with the guy who's sleeping with family members. 
Sadly, little has changed today when we can listen to our favorite preacher online, who most likely has been edited. And meanwhile, something wicked is going on in the background in their ministry. In Corinth, these divisions continued on, and they spilled over outside of the church into the courtroom. We read that in, verse, in chapter 6. And this is actually one of the most shocking things I've seen over my lifetime in ministry, that church fights have turned into courtroom fights. What is going on? It's not good. Churches have to re- worry first and foremost about the legal ramifications more than ever. And this is a condemnation on the North American church. Some believe in the, the separation of church and state. That's a doctrine that some hold. But our fights are making the state get involved with the church. And it's self-inflicted. We need to repent of this. There's more. Division also occurred over disagreements about marital status, as we read in chapter 7. There were food preferences where were another source of disagreement about food being sacrificed to idols or not in chapters 8 through 10. There was divisions between rich and poor were so bad that it even affected the Lord's Supper, that they wouldn't eat with one another. And finally, in chapters 12 through 14, there were fights over spiritual gifts, thinking, hey, I don't even need to hang out with these people. It was a sad time, wasn't it? It was a difficult time. Oh, how Satan loves to divide God's people. It's, it's a more powerful strike by the kingdom of darkness than to get rid of our buildings and, and other freedoms that we enjoy. And so Paul is so disturbed by all of this that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, going back to chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The verb means there has Christ been divided in different parts, been handed out to different people. It's a really grotesque imagery. Notice again the motivation, though, is for the sake of Christ. We must agree with one another. At this beginning juncture in the letter, Paul was trying to stop the divisions from forming into massive schisms, an all-out war. As Gordon Fee explains, these schisms had not developed yet, but if the quarreling and and party spirit described in the following sentences were allowed to develop unchecked and outright division might result, as yet they had still formed one church. There was only one church in the city of Corinth. Maybe they met in different homes, but there was still one church despite those internal tensions. So what were the main issues? And as I read them, tell me if, if you can relate or you can see this happening in the North American church. Number one, there was quarreling and divisions among them where with various teachers as rallying points. And, and isn't this still the case when we're, we always try to bring up people who, who just agree with us on our side and our point of view? Second of all, the quarreling is in some way being carried in the name of wisdom. That's in verses 17 through 30 talking about the eloquent wisdom that they had. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the power of Christ be emptied of its power. And then he goes on and talks about the fact that everyone was pursuing wisdom, but for the gospel it seemed like foolishness. 
Aren't there so many people today who think that they have the corner of wisdom? Thirdly, there were quarrels that took on boasting. Look, it says, look, it says this in verse, um, starting in verse 28. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing uh, to bring, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There was a boasting about things in that day. And fourthly, there was a judgmental attitude, even towards people, Paul and his past ministry and present relationship to them. And man, I see that today, don't you? The judgmentalness that is, is so evident we need to fight this by assuming a positive intent. I'm deeply disturbed by how skeptical our culture is in every piece of information. Uh, on the other hand, I don't, I don't want to just have a blind trust. I, I got a letter this week from the church, local church of Scientology asking me to attend a conference. I'm not going, by the way. And it, they quoted Mr. Hubbard. That was the founder, Ron Hubbard, of the church of Scientology. And he said this about peace. On the day when we can fully trust each other, there will be peace on earth. I don't think that that's scriptural to fully trust people, to blindly trust people. We need to trust God and trust God that he will allow us to act in love towards one another. But I still think we need to assume positive intent until we find otherwise, right? And so we're, we're just... We're, we're being stretched by these, these, these polar opposites of ideologies of, of, out there, and it's causing a lot of judgmentalism in our culture. So church, how do we deal with divisions? We already talked about them giving a vision of, of Christ and him crucified. That's always the first step. The second is trying to deal with the sin beneath the sin. So Ask the Lord to bring to the surface what is the core issue. Sometimes that feels like you're, you're forever digging up the soil in, in a relationship and going through all the hard things. It feels, like, it feels like we're digging actually in the soil here in Cambridge. You know, Ryan, you know this, right? Some of the soil here in Cambridge is so rocky that it's hard to get through, right? To dig a post. Often the sin beneath the sin is pride and identity issues. And we often cling to our sense of security, whether it shows itself in our perceived riches or rights or reputations. However, Christ is calling us to deal with these divisions first, which will mean letting the Holy Spirit do some surgery in our lives to say, God, show me, examine my life, anything that I have done wrong first, to look in the mirror first before looking out the window at others. So will you let the Holy Spirit do that first? Will you let him speak to you today about anything where you might be the cause, where there might be pride, might be some underlining issues? You don't have to go on the surgical waiting list. The Holy Spirit will do it right today. And he'll bring healing. The third step is to see the bigger picture. Yesterday... I don't know if any of you were watching with all the ceremonies for the, the anniversary, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. But I reminded how, remember how Canadians got to serve the world and they came together in Gander, Newfoundland? 
where 38 planes uh, were diverted and, and, and landed in Gander. And that town of Gander, which has a population of 10,000, had to serve an extra 7,000 passengers. And this is one of my favorite stories. The school bus drivers who had been on strike drove the so-called plain people to schools, gymnasiums that were converted into makeshift hotels and Gander's Hockey Arena became a warehouse for stacks of food and drinks. They saw the bigger picture. And brothers and sisters, we need to see the bigger picture. So just shout it out. What are some things that we can agree upon as a church? What are some things? The deity of Christ. What else? Baptisms. Yes. One more. The gospel saves people. Amen. These are all great. These are, these are things that we, we hold fast to. Now, if you aren't engaged in the dust up right now, and I hope it didn't happen on the way to church this morning, Here's what you need to do. Own your part. Our church coach, Steve Adams, has taught me this. The quickest path to peace is surrender. Waving the white flag. But what about your rights? Well, the judge of all the earth will do right, as we read in Genesis 18.25. My grandfather taught my dad and I, when in a conflict, leave it to the judgment. In other words... You know what? You might not be able to figure everything out. Let Jesus take care of that. He's the judge. He's seen everything. He knows people's true motives. Leave it to the judgment. But what about that feeling of loss that you experience? And I know that's tough. Didn't Jesus promise this in Matthew 16, 25? Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's what helps you overcome that feeling of loss. Think about a future reward with the Lord. If you lose for Jesus on earth, you will win in eternity. This is totally opposite of what is preached on the football fields. No one today in the locker room is going to be saying, guys, if we lose today, we have a good attitude. We're going to get, and, and we follow Jesus. We're going to win the Super Bowl in heaven. Who would say that, right? This is, means we trust in God. And even if it doesn't feel good, let God heal your heart and act in good faith towards God. And I'm trusting God for such a promise in my life. I have never regretted making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I've never regretted it. I've never looked back and go, oh, you know what? I, I should have fought more. I should have fought more. This leads us to what we must agree upon with one another. We are called to have the same mind and the same judgment as it says there in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1. In fact, this is such an important re reminder. Don't quit on that other person. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, reminds us what we must agree upon with one another. For I have decided that I know nothing except you, 
uh, accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think about that. This helps us. Christ and him crucified is our thought and purpose. It's our central message. Christ is why Paul calls the people of God to be united, to be joined together. And that word is suggestive of fitting together what is broken or rent. It's used in surgery for setting a joint. My, my wife is working on a project right now where there's cracks in this wood and she's using epoxy to put that together. I believe that, that the Holy Spirit wants to put epoxy into your life where maybe things have been fractured and into my life. Do you believe that God can heal what is broken? That's actually our mission statement here at Temple that we are on mission with Jesus to turn broken people into whole people who multiply Christ's followers. And all hell will be bent against us because we're pursuing unity. As we read, read a few months ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that Christ came to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I got to tell you, God has done two miracles in my life this year. The greatest miracle is probably in 25 years of my ministry in reconciled fractured relationships. And I'm just blown away by it. And he can do the same in your life. He can give us the same mind and judgment. Not in a cult-like or brainwashed way, but by voluntarily coming together because of Christ. And this is why we must conclude today with communion. Think about this. Christ's body was broken so that we might have unity. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll conclude here. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22. And let these words penetrate deep into your hearts. Paul says this, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Wow. So sometimes a faction happens so that God can reveal what's really tr truly going on. And then verse 20 says, When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For at eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do... You not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then he goes on and gives those famous instructions about how to take the Lord's Supper. So just before I call up those to pray over the, the bread and the, the cup. Look, back, look down, jump down to verse 27. It says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so that they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, I think that's the whole body, the church there, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not have, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Guess what? If you feel some conviction right now, that is a grace to you by the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're not condemned with the world. So before we eat and drink, we must seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And God in his grace is actually giving you opportunity to have the courage to go to that person right now that maybe you have an issue with and to be reconciled. We're going to give you a few moments to do that. And you might find yourself in a situation when you have to humble yourself and you have to fight that inner lawyer who wants to defend all your rights in order to pursue peace. And you might be the only one in your family, in workplace, school, team, even church, who's willing to fight for peace. You feel alone and you feel like you're the only one surrendering, which probably isn't true, but it's worth it. Absolutely, it's worth it. Will it seem like the other side wins? Yes. How do I know it's worth it? Because of Jesus and the cross. Jesus is the only one who surrendered his life to make peace with God for you and I. And it looked like he lost. He was all alone. And yet he won, didn't he? He won you and me. Jesus died naked on a tree for you and I. And I'm only asking us to make sure that we're always right with our brothers and sisters. God can bring peace and even promises a reward. Remember what he said? Blessed are the peacemakers for what? They shall be called what? Children of God. Sons of God. Agreeing with one another and pursuing peace identifies with the Son of God who loves you so much. I'm going to give you just a little bit of space, 30 seconds, a minute. And if you need to talk to that person, maybe the person's in the room. Maybe you need to text that person and ask for forgiveness right now. Don't get distracted on your phone. Just do this and, and, and seek reconciliation with that person. And then we'll pray and, pass the, and have the elements together.